0: And welcome to the Clever Types podcast, creating useful people. I'm Jody Cook, and I'm joined by Emma Jones, MBE. Emma's the founder of Enterprise Nation, which she set up in 2006, the UK's most active small business network. She is small business representative for the Crown with the UK government. She's written five best-selling books, all about how to set up and run a successful business. Emma received her MBE in 2012 for services to enterprise and she's been described as being on a mission to make Britain the most enterprising nation and so now what I'm trying to get to the bottom of is what's made Emma so enterprising. Welcome to the show Emma, I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you Jodie, lovely to
0: be here. So we are really trying to find out those childhood influences that create such enterprising people. So if it's okay with you, we're going to get straight into it. Tell us about your upbringing. How would you describe your upbringing? Yeah, so
1: it's interesting, actually. Just as I heard you speak during the introduction, it does kind of take me back to the beginning. So I grew up in a household where my mum ran her own business. And many times since over the years at Enterprise Nation, Many times people have asked me, do you think people are born entrepreneurs or do they become entrepreneurs? And the one idea that I never want to give people is that if you're not born into a home of entrepreneurship, that you can't start your own business. So I think everyone has got a business inside them. I think everybody has got the capability to start a business, but when I did grow up in a home where my mum ran a business, the thing, I guess, that hugely helped me, not that I realised it at the time, is that you just then grow up thinking that running your own business is the most normal thing in the world. So my mum ran restaurants. She, My mum and dad got divorced when I was young, so my dad was kind of living elsewhere, so to kind of pay the bills, mum started a first restaurant, and then she kind of did really well. So I guess my childhood memories were literally working in the restaurants, And coming back from school and sitting around the dinner table talking about cash flow, which sounds really sad now. But again, at the time, it was just normal. We didn't know, my brother and I just kind of didn't know anything else. And actually, one of the other things, when mum was running these restaurants, so kind of in my teenage years, I would work there at weekends. And at the time, I hated it because I was like, mum, all my friends are going out to play and I'm having to work and wait on in this restaurant. But the thing that that really helped me with, I guess, was kind of a work ethic. So for me now, working at weekends, again, it's just kind of what I've grown up with. So I I continue to do that because that's all I've ever known. So I guess being surrounded by this kind of nature of self-employment probably helped me when I went about kind of starting my own business because a lot of people, when they're thinking about starting, and Jodie, you know this just as well as I do, lots of people think is it a terrifying thing to do? You know, I'm considering leaving my day job and starting a business. Is that too risky? You know, will I manage it? Will I financially be able to cope? And I think when you've just come from that background, it doesn't feel quite as terrifying to kind of uh, make that move. So that was kind of how it all started.
0: Brilliant. So cash flow around the dinner table, working in a restaurant. So from what age did you work in your mom's restaurants?
1: It was pretty young and it is a conversation around the dinner table now because I've got three nieces who are my brother's girls who are, to be fair to them, all at work, but they didn't start work until the age of about 16. So the story we do say to them is when my mum had her first business, which was a takeaway joint. My brother was probably about 10 or 11 when he first started, and he wasn't tall enough to reach the till. He was the cashier, that was his job, and so um, he stood on a box reach the till and it was great actually it was good for customers because they would actually come in and it was kind of a talking point that this young and he's now a finance director bizarrely (laughs) enough so kind of this young chap who started taking the money at the age of 10 standing on a box um, matured into what is a fully fledged, very successful kind of finance man so I, I guess that kind of helped him in the early years do his calculations so yeah we did start pretty young but I think that was a good thing and one of the things that I just feel for parents who are kind of starting businesses when they're kind of based at home or sort of in the hospitality industry is that, you know, the way that you can spend time with your children just happens to be that you're spending that time with them in the workplace. So in a way for us, it was great because we hung out with mum because she was kind of working, but it just at the same time, we were sort of building a livelihood for the family, which was the other brilliant thing, actually, is from a young age, I absolutely saw the connection between the hard work that was put into the business and then the benefits that as a family we got from it so i remember one summer kind of the business was doing really well so we kind of had this amazing car and you only knew that that came from the fact that the takings in the business were were doing all right so it was really good again you you don't know this is happening to you at the time it's only when you look back that you think you could understand that direct correlation between putting in the commitment in the business and then hopefully getting the dividends that come from it.
0: So how did your mom, how did your mom kind of teach you how to work in the business? Did, did she let you get on with it or was there an extensive training program? How, how did that come about?
1: No, there was no training at all. I mean, there's things, and because it was a restaurant business and it's the hospitality trade, there's things that you pick up. So I was waiting on, mum, of course, had hired other people. So I think it's sort of almost what I learned from the other people, which of course the customer is always right. That of was course. <laughs> a huge thing that I learned from a very early age. You know, treating people like you would want them to treat you back was another kind of big thing that I guess that I picked up. Money, so the value of things, definitely the value of things when it comes to as a business one thing that's really stuck with me and actually can be a limitation in kind of running Enterprise Nation now is this again kind of in the restaurant business it's so incredibly important not to spend more than you're earning and I know that sounds really basic but over the past few years we've seen a lot of businesses of course raise lots of money before they knew how they were going to earn it back And to me, that's quite an alien concept because of my upbringing. So, and as I say, it can be a bit of a limiting factor. So at Enterprise Nation, at the moment, we're going through a period of quite rapid growth because we've just launched a new technology platform. And I think one of the things that could potentially kind of be holding me back is this incredible commitment to not spending unless I know we'll be earning more than we're kind of spending. And I think sometimes when you look at high growth businesses, there tends to be more of a feeling of spend it and the money will come But I just need to see that kind of, you know, the earnings come in before making the commitment to spend. So I think that was one of the things that I also picked up is just all the time. It had to be that the earnings coming in were higher than the costs going out. So it's interesting. Hopefully lots of the things that have come from my childhood have been beneficial. So kind of that commitment to working hard, making the connection between putting the hours in, getting the results out. But I think one of the things that could be that limitation is this unending belief I have that you have to earn more than you spend
0: (laughs) yeah I understand and especially when you've got so many say tech companies trying to earn rounds and rounds and rounds of funding before even making any revenue I can imagine that that would be a complete it doesn't it doesn't quite fit does it when you've been used to always making sure that you're always only spending what you're earning which which seems such common sense at the same time
1: It does. And it is a mindset. And it's interesting, actually, because there's a gentleman who sits on our board and he is involved with another company, which is one of those companies that's gone from rounds and rounds of financing. So the whole time I've known them, all they've ever done is go and raise money. I'm not going to mention who the company is. And it's really interesting because this guy who sits on the board, he kind of has these two very different businesses. So Enterprise Nation, where we did actually take on an investor in December last year, but we've kind of never – other than that, kind of taken external funding, we've always generated a profit, etc. And I constantly quiz him on are we doing this the right way versus (laughs) going from one round to another. So I don't think there's any right way. I think it's more what the entrepreneur feels is the right way to run their business. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think that the influence of that very much came from my childhood.
0: So if we think about the things that you would have been learning and the advice that you would have been getting whilst working in a restaurant, learning about the world of business when you were younger, are there any of the things that you now pass on to say say your nieces when they were growing up? Is there any way that you kind of spoke to them or, or did something differently because of the background that you'd had?
1: I suppose going back to this kind of work ethic it's quite hard. So I have not had children. My brother has had three girls, and my brother has done really well. So the girls, even though their mum and dad do encourage them, they you know they've all worked jobs to kind of earn pocket money, etc., which is great. But um, how do I say this? When when we were young and needed to work in mum's businesses, we did it because we had to. So it was kind of you know, it was our living, we had to work hard to kind of keep the money coming in, etc. So we were quite hungry, because there was no other option, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think with my nieces, I desperately kind of try and show them. And just the other thing with my nieces is they've kind of grown up in a household with a mum and a dad, their mum and dad have jobs. And their auntie, who has never got married, never had children, has always run her own business in their lifetime, because I've been Running businesses for kind of the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so, what I've tried to show them in terms of what I do is there can be a life of entrepreneurship. The girls, so my nieces, have been to work in Enterprise Nation, so they've kind of had experience of working in the business. And I just kind of try and show them all the time that there is another option. And I think that's for young people, I think we've still got an education system and a kind of a university system that encourages young people towards employment. So, for instance, my big niece, who's 21, is just just about to finish university, so she's doing the job rounds at the moment. And for her at this stage, she, she wouldn't even dream of starting her own business. I mean, mainly for her, it's because she wants to get a job before starting a business, which actually is another piece of advice I give not just to my nieces, but when I go and speak to young people, this is very much kind of based on my personal experience, but when I left university, I got a job for five years working at what at the time was a brilliant organization called Arthur Anderson. And the five years I spent at that firm gave me a grounding. It taught me how to deal professionally with clients. It gave me an incredible network and it gave me confidence of dealing at a kind of a high level of business. So without that five years, I wouldn't have been able to start my first business. So advice I give is maybe not necessarily immediately come out of education and start a business but maybe go and get a grounding somewhere else but I think if young people can see that entrepreneurship is an option I think that's kind of a really strong message to give from as young an age as possible. Mm
0: And so you mentioned confidence there, and that is actually something I was going to bring up with you specifically, because I know that through Enterprise Nation, you've met with tens of thousands of business owners. And I saw you on national TV introducing the prime minister at their um, party conference a couple of years ago. So first, what, what always strikes me about you, Emma, is that you remember everything Everything that someone has told you about their business, you will remember it, and also that you do have this incredible confidence. So, what what is the root of of your your incredible memory and your incredible confidence?
1: Wow, it's funny in the team actually. They always joke with me that I remember the names of business owners, what they've done, etc. And I guess my flippant reply to that is they always say elephants have good memories. So I'm always, <laughs> I think I'm just like an elephant. No, the memory thing. It's interesting when people do say, "Wow, how do you remember that I told you that, etc." And Jody, honest to goodness, I just really think it's that for me I find every business owner I meet desperately interesting. I think the story as to why they've started out is interesting I think what they're doing is great because for me every small business owner is just a, a wonderfully positive thing in society. so I guess I'm just really interested in what all of these businesses are doing so it's a case of you just kind of take it in when people tell you. And, you know, if you just retain that, I think that's kind of where the memory piece has come from. Is just that I'm just really interested in what all of these businesses are doing. And just the other thing actually is connecting people to others. So, for instance, last night we had an event for entrepreneurs who've just been part of a startup training program and there's a great young entrepreneur he started a drinks business called ooze and he's still at university and he said you know who should i be talking to anyway i reeled off about four names a guy called john stapleton who started new covent garden soup company and now looks at helping young food startups the guy who runs the Tost food chain vincent mckevitt who's always out kind of looking for young entrepreneurs with kind of food businesses. And for me, I almost kind of need to know what all these businesses are doing so I can say to Ooze, these are the people that you need to talk to. So I guess our job at Enterprise Nation is we help people start and grow their own small business, and a massive part of that is being able to connect a young startup with the people that they need quite quickly. So, And I guess the confidence piece, I'd like to say that hopefully that comes from just having been doing this for so long so and I guess my kind of confidence hopefully kind of comes from because the only thing I ever talk about is small business so if I was ever invited to speak at an event on the history of the Spanish Civil War (laughs) I promise I would not be a confident person so I think hopefully the confidence just comes from I'd really like to think I know my topic and therefore when it comes to public speaking and maybe that's kind of what you're referring to in terms of the confidence when you're speaking publicly to audiences, the main reason I do it is to hopefully give the audience something that they didn't know when they came in. So desperately, when I go and speak at events, my job is to hopefully give a message where people think, actually, you know, I didn't know that was happening, or that's really interesting to learn that that's going on. So it's kind of my job to be on top of my game, to understand everything that is happening in this, you know, very specific market of small business, and kind of give people that information. So hopefully that's kind of what delivers to me the confidence is hopefully my ability to kind of do that job.
0: Yes, definitely. Okay, so interesting to find out how you develop memory and confidence, but it sounds like it comes from taking a genuine interest, which I guess a lot is to do with how involved you were in, in business and, and in small businesses from such a young age. You probably have an innate interest just in the topic, which which helps with those two things. So you mentioned Spanish, which reminded me of your degree, which was actually in Japanese <laughs> and <laughs> Japanese and law. So if we talk about education for a bit, I'm I'm really interested firstly in the journey that led up to you taking a law and Japanese degree and also just in your your experience of, of school in general?
1: Yeah, well, so great question because that does take us back again. So um, back to kind of childhood, my mum, because she was working really hard, put me through, um, I went into an all girls, it was called private school at the time, I don't know what they call them now, but a fee paying school uh, called Shrewsbury High School because she wanted me and my brother to kind of have a really good education. So back to this kind of working hard mm-hmm. I always knew that kind of school fees were being paid because the kind of hard work was going into the business. So I spent kind of, I guess, up until sixth form at this great school, um, which it was all girls. They help you build confidence, which is brilliant. But by sixth form, mum thought I was getting a bit too... fond of myself so a bit too (laughs) snobby so she was like right you have to come out of this school because it's it's done well but you need to have different influences so the only way I can put this is I was sent to a place called Concord College and it's probably one of the best things that ever happened in my life so that I lived in Shropshire this amazing college called Concord College is based in a tiny little place in Shropshire called Acton Bernal and when I went there It's an international college, so people from all over the world came to study there. And when I went to Concord, which of course was years ago, I'm 46 now, so however, however long ago that was, there were only four British people, and everybody else was from every corner of the globe. And it was run by an incredible man called Tony Morris. And I still just hold him with such high regard. So at the time, Tony Morris had run this amazing college full of international students. And he wanted to start having some British students in there. So he had a bursary which gave free places to a couple of students. And I was just really fortunate to of get that free bursary to spend two years there so when i went to concord i had thought that i wanted to do law at university um i just always thought that's the kind of thing that i would like to do because at the time bizarrely i was kind of quite interested in the european union and kind of what was going on and sort of british politics and how we were playing a role in that so i thought being a lawyer would be a good route into kind of getting a career in that environment And I went to Concord and kind of fell in with all these fraternities from Greece, from the Middle East and the Japanese. So I kind of made friends with some of the Japanese students and at the time, so this kind of shows how long ago it was, the Japanese economy was absolutely on the up. So Japanese companies were investing in the UK, their economy was flying, I mean, their economy is still very strong, but this was kind of at the height of the Japanese economy. So I just, I'd started to learn Japanese a little bit from my friends at college. And I just thought, and I, somebody said to me, Cardiff University had a degree in law and Japanese. It was the only place that did it. And so I just thought, wow, I'm just going to combine the two because, you know, hopefully if I have the language skills as well, that will kind of help me in my career. Took my A-levels at Concord, um, begged Cardiff University for a place on this kind of first course. And yeah, went to start my law and Japanese degree. So it was quite unusual. I don't even know if they're still doing it, but it was a phenomenal couple of years in the UK. I have to admit, Jodie, I made the... So the structure of the course was two years in Britain, and then the third year was due to be spent in Japan. And at the end of my second year, I had maybe partied a bit too hard at university. So my professor said to me at the end of the second year, you're not going to Japan because your results are not good enough. And again, I had to beg him and say, I promise I will improve if you let me go. So I spent a third year in Japan, which um, that year sorted me out and kind of brought me back to the kind of, you know, you have to work hard to get results because if there's one place that can teach you the value of kind of working hard it's Japan because everyone there has such an incredible work ethic so that was an amazing year and then I
0: came back and finished off the degree back in the UK so you had so you had working in your mom's restaurants and then going to school which you then swapped for a college and then swapped for university so how like what what different things did each of those very very different educational establishments all teach you
1: Yeah, wow, I've never really kind of thought of this. I guess at Shrewsbury High School, um, it was very much the confidence piece. It was a school where, of course, you were encouraged to do your best, you know, every school kind of does that. But there was a certain, and because it was for all girls, I guess there's a certain underlying, I never sort of really realised this at the time, there was an underlying, you know, come on, you're young girls, you can do anything. So it was, it gave you really kind of hopefully not arrogant confidence. That's the kind of where you've got to be really careful in in sort of getting that balance right. That it gave you confidence to go off and do hopefully kind of good things in the world. So I think that was the Shrewsbury High School input. And then the Concord College was definitely the international angle. So, you know, I was just surrounded every day, every day, Because we used to go in on a Saturday as well. It was a school, it was a boarding school. I was a day girl, but I would go back in on a Saturday morning for double economics. (laughs) Uh, That was fun. And there it was just learning about all of these cultures. And it was really interesting because, and the school is still very successful, it's still going strong. It's like a microcosm of how the world should be because you literally have got people from. Saudi Arabia, living in a next-door dorm room to somebody from Kenya, next door to somebody from Shanghai, and everybody gets on. And yes, you know, people tended to stay in their country cliques. So, you know, the Greeks would all hang out with each other, the Japanese would all hang out with each other. But ultimately, everyone lived, studied, ate, worked under one roof. So that was just an amazing two years in, in looking at, wow, look at all these cultures, and Understanding different behaviours, but ultimately, you know, can we all just kind of work towards one vision? So that was kind of Concord. And then university was this, you know, I got it wrong for the first couple of years, and then it was understanding how to try and rectify things. And then Japan, um, just a special year in its own right, I started my first business in Japan, actually. So when I was there, I lived with a Japanese family. It was kind of a homestay for the year, but I was also at a Japanese university, And so I set up, I have to be careful on this actually, because I, so I set up a a school teaching English to Japanese kids and it was Possibly one of the most financially successful things I've ever done. But I have to be careful because we never told the tax authority we were doing this. So it was all very cash in hand, which I probably shouldn't admit to. But yeah, so my first business was started in Japan. And that, you know, just kind of living in a country like Japan for a year changes your approach to most things because it's very different from Britain. Very different way of living. And yet the Japanese, as I say, they're very focused on building their economy a very interesting country, because it's just from its history, where it's going, etc. So that was just kind of an interesting experience in its own right. And then it was back here to get into the world of work. So I suppose, in a patchwork way, it was building confidence, understanding, hopefully, a little bit about international cultures, and then starting to understand business in my own right by kind of getting out there and and starting my own thing.
0: So during all that time, then we've talked about your your mom, but did you have any other role models or were there any teachers that are kind of especially singled you out and and gave you advice or that or that you looked up to?
1: Yeah I guess and I probably shouldn't it sounds like my dad didn't exist so um, my dad is very present and in fact, it was his 70th recently. And the big thing that I said about him is he's the one who's taught me how this kind of concept of, you know, treat others as you would wish to be treated yourself. So definitely kind of influences from my dad. But yeah, the person who stands out in terms of teacher wise is this man called Tony Morris, who ran Concord College, who If anyone ever says to me, you know, who was an influence in your younger life, then it was definitely him. So he was the one who gave me this incredible opportunity, first of all, to spend two years at this amazing institution that he'd built. And I guess in him, just incredible man. He lived on site. So his family lived in a house right next door to the school. And it was just a 24-7 job for him. He'd got people all from all over the world so naturally like all of these lives in his hand um all hours of the day so if anything happens to these students it's kind of the buck stops with him which I guess he was just why he was on call all the time so I think what I saw from him was an utter commitment to what was a business Concord College is a very successful business and I think that's kind of what I picked up from him is again this just concept of the more that you put into it the more you get out of it he then retired, well, he is now retired and he's, he's kind of revered around the world by the Concord alumni. So I think in him, it was this kind of role model of put the hours in and you'll get the results out. So yeah, I think it was Tony Morris for me who was the other big influence.
0: Where did you first create your own definition of success and, and what success looked like? And did you have a particular version of it in your head from, from when you were quite young? Oh, that is a very interesting question. I think I'm still
1: trying to define it, Jodie. So, um, when I guess I first started in business, I set kind of metrics of, you know, I'd like to run a business with a million pound turnover. I'd like to run a business that hires a couple of people. So, it's kind of having gone through sort of steps like that, I suppose the one thing about success is it just kind of keeps on changing. So when you hit those milestones that you'd kind of set for yourself, success to me, there's kind of personal success, which is hopefully kind of being, I've got brothers and sisters, so hopefully being a good sister, daughter, auntie. So there's kind of that element of success that you want to be a good influence for others. But in business, it really does keep on changing. So for us right now as a company, success is kind of getting this technology right of this kind of platform that we're building. It's making sure the team is happy because we've got an ever-growing team. And that's an area in which I struggle. So for me, the thing that I've always loved to do in the business is business development and go out and, and sort of help grow the business. What I haven't been so good at doing is the operations of the company. So hiring, motivating, etc. Anyway, we've now got somebody in who kind of does that, but I'm still you know, playing a role in hopefully making sure it's a great workplace for people to work. So success keeps on moving for me in terms of what does it look like and what
0: is it? And I don't know, Jodie, I'm not quite sure I will ever get the full definition. So when things aren't going so well, when when the kind of milestones maybe aren't being hit as fast as you would like, is there anyone that you that you channel or are there any words of wisdom that you remember that someone else has told you?
1: Yes, and I'm not quite sure how positive this is going to come across, but yes, there are. So um, (laughs) we had a great entrepreneur on a webinar probably about four years ago, a man called Mike Souter, and he's the man who started Shortlist and Stylist magazine, which have done phenomenally well. He's just recently sold the business, actually. Brilliant entrepreneur. Anyway, we did this webinar with him, and someone asked him a similar question. They said, you know, when things aren't going so well, what do you do? And Jody, as I say, this probably isn't going to be very positive, but I have to be honest with you and tell you that this is what I've kind of listened to ever since, is that he said, he said, I just think if you're going through hell, you just have to keep on going. And as i say, I know that doesn't sound positive, but we have had um, 2016 was a particularly hard year for me because we were growing as a company. We were taking on more people. I was like the only sort of leader in the company. So I was kind of doing everything. I was head of ops. I was head of finance. I was doing business development. I made a bad hire. And so it was a really hard year in terms of I was like, I just can't get this right. I don't feel, you know, that I'm in my ying and it's just kind of not. And so I hate to say That's what I just kept on thinking. I just kept on thinking, Mike Suter's words, you just have to keep on going. Anyway, I just kept on going, and fortunately, we sort of came out of it. And there's another thing. I have a bit of a a morning thing now that I do. Again, having heard from a couple of great entrepreneurs, one who's living, one who's sadly not. So Steve Jobs was quite famously known for saying when he brushed his teeth in the morning, he would look in the mirror And he would ask himself, so if this is your final day on earth, are you doing what you should be doing today? So every morning, I now absolutely think about that. And apparently what he would do is if he went through a phase where for a few days, he couldn't say to himself, yes, you are doing what you should be doing if this is your final day on earth, he would change. He would say, right, I have to change something because this just isn't working. So I think of that. And then more recently, and it's all kind of connected I went to hear the amazing American entrepreneur, Jack Dorsey. So he's the guy who started Twitter and Square. So I went to hear him speak at the British Library. And as you can imagine, just amazing, incredible, incredible entrepreneur. And one of the things he spoke about was his morning ritual. And um, somebody said to him, you know, how do you prepare for your day? And he said, um, he said, I wake up, I meditate for a while. And then I walk to work and and again, he's quite, if you Google this, it's, he's quite famously kind of quoted this a number of times. And his walk to work is five miles away from his home. So he plugs his earphones in and he listens to podcasts and he listens to audio books. And he says, the reason why I do that is, whatever faces me that day when I get into the office I know that I've started the day by winning so because he just kind of learns before he even gets in and kind of gets his head in the right place he even if everything goes wrong that day he's like I'm fine because I started it by winning that's another thing is I'm really fortunate so I live in London I walk across Tower Bridge every day to get into the office when I'm kind of in the office and so now each morning I just kind of think to myself as I'm doing the walk I'm I think, right, heads up, so kind of lift your head out of the day-to-day of the business and just kind of think, you know, what is it you want to achieve today to kind of take this business further? So I guess that's an assortment of people. It's the kind of Mike Suter, you know, if everything's going wrong, wrong you just have to keep going. But on a slightly more positive bent, it's kind of also the Jack Dorsey, you know, lift your head up, think about where you're taking this business, what your original vision was, and kind of get yourself in that mindset before you start the day.
0: What you said about if you're going through hell, keep going. I want to propose to you a slightly alternative one that, that might sound happier. <laughs> but I always think um, like the similar, but when you're like when you're going through hell, that the best view always comes after the hardest climb. Beautiful. And it reminds me so much of mountain climbing because you know that when you're knackered, when you're starving, when you, I don't know, you need the toilet, you feel like you want to give up and turn round. that's probably when you're right before the summit and i quite like that analogy for for business as well. I'm going to keep that one now Josie. That's <laughs> what I'm
1: going to go with because I, I this is what i said to you just before i said it this is just going to sound terrible but it's the way in which he said it but you're right i'm going to go with your more positive one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> so what what you said about Jack Dorsey and and owning the morning and also what you said about Steve Jobs and sort of it's like meditating on mortality in the in the morning to make sure that you have your best day. That's that's quite Quite linked with with the philosophy known as stoicism so it's making me think is there is is stoicism a philosophy that you follow or do you have a kind of personal philosophy that you intertwine with life and work
1: well and it's interesting actually you said something before and I thought I wonder if I should comment on this so when you say um kind of woven between life and work one of the things I did want to mention is um one of the questions I most struggle with when people And it's a question that people ask a lot is, how do you balance work and life? And it's a question I hate answering, because for me, it's an absolute blend. And the the best, and sorry, because this is not exactly what you're asking me, but I just kind of wanted to raise it for parents who are kind of listening, you know, in terms of how do you sort of encourage your children to feel most comfortable or young entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. who are thinking about starting out, the best way I ever heard this question being answered is I love the financial times and there's a great feature in the weekend FT and there was an entrepreneur who was interviewed and you could tell that what he was trying to say is I work weekends but he said My work is my hobby, so I never mind the time that I spend on it. And so this thing of kind of this balance between work and life, I so love what I do that I happen to spend most of my time doing it. And therefore, kind of my personal life is pretty much my family and then the rest of my life is my work. And I guess just kind of a belief system around that is a great another great mentor for me, um, and Jody, you will know him because I know he's supported what you're doing, is a man called Lord Young. Um, so Lord Young has had a great career in starting businesses. He's worked in the corporate world, started his own companies, and then I got to know him when he was enterprise advisor to David Cameron. And he's an incredible man. He's in his mid-eighties, and he still, every day, gets up, goes into his office, builds great businesses, inspires other entrepreneurs to do the same. And when I reflect on, I guess, my beliefs and think about why do I do what I do for how much longer do I want to do what I do? I look to him and think he still gets so much joy and satisfaction from the world of kind of enterprise and encouraging enterprise. And I would like to be like him when I'm his age. So I guess my belief is you know, I'm, I'm without this sounding trite, how can we make the UK a better place by encouraging people to start businesses because I'm a huge believer in, you know, entrepreneurship is not only good for the economy, it's great for society. One of the things I talk about a lot and have done for the past decade is when mums and dads are bringing up kids, when mums and dads are running a business, they're educating the next generation of entrepreneurs, so it's great family ties. So, I think my belief system is right. You know, how can we continue to build an enterprise nation? And another thing for me, which I really want to start working on in the next couple of years, is how can we hopefully take what we've done in the UK and do this in other countries? Because the one thing I don't think any organization has quite done yet is connect up countries in a really strong way to say, let's all be bound by entrepreneurship. And again, not sounding too trite, but when you look at troubles around the world, I just quite often think, and I know this sounds terribly simplistic, but if people had businesses, they literally wouldn't find the time to fight each other, because they'd be thinking, right, how am I growing this business? What good am I doing? And they just wouldn't have the time or mental capability to think about doing bad things. So, for me, entrepreneurship is a force for good. And I guess we're driven every day at Enterprise Nation by making sure we're doing the right things in the UK. But as I say, I desperately kind of a next milestone for me is how do we kind of look at doing this in other territories beyond?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And such a worthy cause. And I am fully confident that you will achieve that as well. I definitely don't want to make links between things that might not have kind of been cause and effect but I wonder if your kind of attitude to to work and life and how how the two can be very intertwined maybe does come from talking about cash flow around the dinner table and having and having such a positive experience of it that you've just kind of gone okay yeah I can do this 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 is a way of operating and so you've sort of developed your own personal way of just of just viewing life and work
1: yeah And also knowing actually what happens when it doesn't work so well. So the kind of, you know, childhood, some restaurants did really well, others didn't. And so I guess that's quite an important thing. And I know we've reflected on this in terms of when things aren't going so well, but is developing the capability to deal with it when it's not going as well, and then enjoying it when it is. And actually, almost the second thing can be the hardest one. So enjoying success when you have it is a really hard thing I think for kind of entrepreneurs to do because they're just never satisfied
0: <laughs> and so if we just just final question from me then and because I know that a lot a lot of our um of our podcast listeners are our parents but also a lot of, are entrepreneurs so maybe from from when you were younger and from your view on it now what what is the advice that you'd leave people for when things aren't going so well what's the what what is the stuff that they should kind of channel to, to be able to get through the harder times?
1: Yeah, good question. I think one thing which again helped me, and I probably didn't do enough of it when we were going through the hard times, is find someone to whom you can turn to. Um, for a lot of people, it can be their spouse, you know, their uh, someone in their family. For me at the time, I had someone who, who now sits on the board, <clears throat> but he was kind of like a business advisor. So I would you know, buy him a glass of wine and kind of say, you know, this isn't working. And in in a way, he would not give me the solutions. He would just allow me the space and the time to vent this. Because of course, one of the things, and I know we haven't necessarily kind of touched on this, but um when I started my first business, a business called Techlicate.com, it was me and a business partner. So we were 5050 and it was quite a short lived company because we sold it within two years. However, as we kind of started, grew, and then sold the company, whenever I had something on my mind or that I was concerned about, I would always turn to my business partner naturally because, you know, problem halved is problem solved. Enterprise Nation, I have been the sole founder of Enterprise Nation, so it's been one person starting, growing, etc., and that can be a lot harder because it, all of these thoughts, questions, concerns go on in your one head. So to have someone to whom you can just outline what's going on because you can't do this with your team so one of the really important things is as you're growing a business is every single morning when you walk into that office you know Jack Dorsey like you have to walk in with a smile on your face positivity in your mind and say right what are we going to achieve today you can never let your team know that there's kind of concerns that are happening sort of internally so for me finding someone with whom I could talk that through was hugely helpful because just kind of sharing it It does make it kind of feel, you know, that it's resolvable. So I would say if kind of people are going through those kind of tough times, one is find that mentor, coach, person, advisor, whatever you would like to call them, to whom you can, you know, have these open and honest conversations. But secondly, as I say, just kind of keep on going, because just as we've spoken about, you will come out of it. And the beautiful thing is you will come out of it stronger and stronger to me is good because it just means you're prepared for the next time it happens so take learnings from when things aren't
0: going so well
1: you know build that resilience and just keep on going
0: keep on going famous words thank you so much for for joining us today i've been so inspired listening to you so where can people find out more about you if they want to enterprise nation.com so um yeah our new beautiful platform um
1: which is hopefully where we're helping thousands more business owners connect with advisors. So all the information about sort of my business is there and things that we're up to, events that we're running, you know, people that we support. Member stories is my favorite bit on that whole platform. So, yeah, www.enterprisenation.com is the place to go.
0: Thank you so much, Emma. Thanks, Jodie. This episode was brought to you by Clever Tykes Children's Storybooks. If you want to support the podcast and help share our ethos of inspiring, enterprising behavior, head over to clevertykes.com and order a set of the storybooks to give to a child that you know.